Let us get going. So today's daf is daf kuf tes, page 109 in uh, Maseches Yavamis, and we're going to go back to the very bottom line on kuf ches amud beis, okay, 108b. And um, we are going through the idea that we, that we introduced yesterday, which is the impact that a divorce has on a minor, as well as the impact that a mion, a refusal of marriage, has of uh, you know has on a minor. So here we go. Says the Gemara. Now uh, let's let's uh, give an introduction as to what the initial conversation is going to be about, and that is if 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 Reuven passes away childless, so his wife has a mitzvah of yibum. Now, again, we're only dealing with a katan over here. So if, let's say they initially got divorced and then they remarried each other, they changed their mind, and then there was a mion, a mion takes place, a refusal of marriage afterwards takes place without a get, okay? So, and then he dies childless. So the question is, um, is there going to be, I'm sorry, I got that case wrong. Again, there was just a get, and then a death. That's all there was. A get, a remarriage, and then a death. The question is, is there going to be Yibam? Do we look only at the time of death, and therefore Yibam should be in place? Or do we look throughout the entire length of the marriage? And since at a certain point during their relationship, there was a prohibition between her and his brother, as brother-in-law, sister-in-law, that prohibition remains in place. Here we go. Megarish Isha, if a fellow divorces his wife, they remarry, Mutares Liyavam. Says the Tanakama, there is a mitzvah of Yibum because you look at the time of death. Rabbi Lezer Aiser. Rabbi Lezer says, no. And we'll see why in the Gemara, but we, we gave the initial understanding that he's going to look at the duration of the relationship. If somebody divorces a Yisayma, an orphan, then he remarries her also. She's mutter to the Yavam. Rabbi Lezer Aiser. Rabbi Lezer says, it's going to be Aser for the same exact reason. And we'll get, well, the Gemara is going to explain why the case of a Yisayma, the case of an orphan, it would, would be thought to be any different. Okay. Kitana Shesia Aviyah Vinizgarsha. Let's say you have a Kitana whose father married her off, Vinizgarsha, and then they get divorced from, she, she and her husband get divorced from that initial marriage. You should know, Ki He loses all sorts of rights. To her, she's like an orphan during her father's lifetime. Before, uh, you know, before she got married, so the father had a biblical right to be involved in the marriage. However, once you know, that's like a that's a, a one time card. Once she's married, the, now uh, she's an orphan in her father's lifetime. Meaning, as far as the rights to oversee that marriage, and if they remarry, everybody's going to agree. In such a circumstance, there's going to be an iser of Yibum, okay, because she's considered the divorced wife of the brother. Okay, here we go. Let's get into the, let's get into this uh, Mishnah, says the Gemara. Omar Eifa. Eifa says, my time, Rebbe Lazar, what's the reason for with that? If there was a divorce, a remarriage, and then a childless death, it is forbidden to Yibum. Since there was a moment during, during uh, you know, from the time that they got married, where she's forbidden to the brother, she remains forbidden to the brother forever. One second, if that's true, you shouldn't even need chalitza because it doesn't even start. According to you, it shouldn't start. Now, maybe that's really what Rabbi Lezer means. Maybe when Rabbi Lezer says, that there's, she's, she's forbidden in Yibum, we thought it meant 
There's no yibam. That's it. But it's, interestingly, it seems v'hotanya. We learned in our brayso mishumer blazer amruchay letzah. She's forbidden to yibam, but there's still the mitzvah chalitza. The question is why? Is there a bond, or is there, or is there no bond? You're kind of dancing at two weddings at the same time. You can't be in two places at once. You can't hold two contradictory opinions. Elamar Eifa, rather Eifa says, or Belazer Leyadana, my time. Eifa says, you're right. I don't, I, 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 I don't know, which is a great answer. We have to train ourselves to answer this sometimes. It's a good answer. It's a good answer to say, I don't know. Eifa says, I'm lost. I don't truly understand anymore Rebbe Lazar's opinion. How is it possible to say that you're going to have this case of divorce, remarriage, childless death, and then there's a prohibition of Yibam, but there's still Chalitza. What's the logic? I don't get it either. You're right. Amar Abayi, which I want to pause for a moment and take a message in life. You know, sometimes we think when everybody else understands something, that we're the dumb one. And everybody else understands the conversation and we're like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm not fully grasping what's happening, but everybody else seems to be smarter. Very oftentimes, it's the ones who are confused that are thinking more. The more you know, the more confusion can enter your mind, right? So until now, Apha had no problem with her religious opinion. But now that we get him thinking, so to speak, he's like, oh, okay. So now I'm confused. But it's a good confusion because he's more learned. Very often when you're more educated, so you got to figure out more things. Just because people seem to grasp it doesn't necessarily mean that they're further ahead than us. Let's keep going. Um, Rabbi, Rabbi says, This is the reason for Rabbi Lazar. I'll explain, his, I'll, I'll explain his point of view. He actually was in doubt. In other words, he wasn't sure whether the Tanakhama is correct. That we follow strictly the time of death or whether we should look throughout the duration of the marriage. Thereby, there wouldn't be Yibam. But it, it was a lack of clarity on Rabbi Lazar's part. Therefore, he has to be strict. When you're not sure what to do, better safe than sorry. So therefore, he says like this. He wasn't sure, if we say that you, you focus on the time of death, so then there's going to be a mitzvah of Yibam, because at the time of death, they were married. And therefore, since he was in doubt, he's following the stringencies of both points of view. Okay, that's Abayi's approach. Rava, his beloved counterpart, Rava says, No, Rabbi Lazar really agrees with the Tanakhama that Yibam follows... The time of death. Humiyu, however, hakol bekiyam begerushin ve'na kol bekiyam bechazara. Incredible. Even though we follow the time of death, people are experts with divorce. Now, what does it mean that they're experts with divorce? It means they're aware, and this is actually very important. Sometimes when people get divorced, they want to keep it quiet, which is fine. People are entitled to their privacy. However, it is also important. For the word to be out there, so that there's no further that they're no longer married, so that no further um, halachic and legal issues crop up. All of a sudden, you see a, a woman who you think is married, uh, you know, uh, dating somebody else. It looks bad if you think she's married, but it's, it's important to know. It's important to know that that the marriage. So it says the Gemara that Gerishin people are bekiyah megerishin. They're aware. They know what's going on. However, not everybody is so familiar with, the, with what goes on when people get remarried. Okay? And therefore, Rabbi Lazar says, you know, over here, we're going to say, do not do Yibam and instead do Chalitza because people aren't aware, perhaps, that they remarried and people are going to think that they're still divorced. Right? Because remember, what's the case? You had a couple, they got divorced. Then they remarried and he died childless. 
People may have only heard about the divorce. They didn't necessarily hear about the remarriage. Maybe the remarriage was a small wedding with 20 people and the guy died a week later. It wasn't so known. It's not as, the word's not out there as much. Hence, says Rabbi Eliezer, we're going to say du chazara, because really there is, I'm sorry, du chalitza, because really there is a mitzvah of Yibam. So du chalitza. However, um, you can't just walk away. She's going to be usher in Yibam because of the confusion it'll lead to. Says the Gemara, but just the opposite. Chazara, keep on the Yosva to say, Islakala. Says, one second. You're going to tell me that divorce is more well-known than remarriage? It's not true. Remarriage is, is equally, if not more well-known, because people see them living together again in the same home, like a, like a mishpucha, like a family. Says the Gemara, Mila Yaskinon. Didn't we already explain the Hadra Bortos Safra? No, you're right. You know what maybe the case is? Here's what happened. The case was, he died shortly after the remarriage, therefore, people don't yet know. People hear about a divorce. The word gets out there. Remarriage, how do people hear about it? Most often, just over the course of time, they see them together again. All right, they know they made up, finished. But if he dies shortly after the remarriage, it's not going to be well known, and that's our, that's our beloved's concern. Made a decree uh, because of the last case of the Misha that we quoted. Uh, he was concerned about a Yesayma People might get confused with that case and say that there's a you're allowed to do even. It's very logical to take this approach. But Tony Seva, since then the Misha says Katana If you have a Katana she got She's like a orphan in her father's lifetime, meaning the father completely lost his rights. And therefore, let's say the couple gets remarried. This has nothing to do with the father. Everybody's going to agree that she's also to the Yavam. What's the Chiddush? It's obvious. Why is it obvious? Because like this. Ready? Here's, here's, here's the whole catch. The Gemara is saying it's obvious, but to us it's not. Why? So let's get educated. Here we go. When the father oversees the initial marriage, so the Torah, the, the, this is a biblical marriage. The Torah allowed that to kick in. However, once there's a divorce and she's choosing that on her own, so that's a whole different category. We're now entering a rabbinic category. And hence, it's a whole different label to the marriage. Rather, the whole Kiddush over here is... Now, keep in mind, if it's a rabbinic marriage, the second one, we're not going to permit a biblical transgression of the brother-in-law. The Kiddush must be... That Shmamina. Rabbi Lezer's concerned, we're always nervous if we're going to start allowing Yibam to kick in, people are going to say the same thing holds true by Yisayma B'chai Ha'av, that she can remarry, because people are not as well versed. And this is so true. And for ourselves, we know this. People aren't well versed into the whys of why we do everything. It's important to educate ourselves as to why. You have to know what's, what's a biblical obligation, what is a rabbinic obligation, what is a custom what is a stringency? What's something that's just something that's the right thing to do, but there's really, it's not quoted anywhere. It's very important to know what's what, because even if we're always going to strive to do the right thing, very often in our lives, there's going to be things that complicate and you need to make a decision. You really have two things that seem to be right or two things that seem to be wrong. How do I know which, you know, uh, which way to go? If we're educated and know, listen, one's, let's say, biblical. And one's a custom, well, surely you're going to go with the biblical obligation over something that's just become a custom, right? But if you don't know, you don't know. It's confusing. All right. So therefore, says Rebbe Lazar, we have this overarching concern of Yusama B'chai Av. Hence, 
we say even in the other cases that there's an obligation of chalitza and it's usher to do yibam. Tanik Rav Ravashi, we have a brisa which seems to back up Rav Ashi. Rav Ashi is an Amora, Brisa is a Tanas. So let's get him some, uh, give his opinion some stability from the previous generations. Yeah, you know the well-known story with Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. It's worthwhile uh, saying over here. Uh, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky was on an airplane. He was on a plane. And um, one of his, he was sitting, he was elderly already and he was flying in business class. And his grandchildren, he was flying with a couple of his grandchildren, were assisting him, and they were sitting in the economy. They were sitting in coach. And every half hour, they would get up and come, you know, come check on him, make sure he was okay. And there was another fellow sitting next to him in, uh, in business class who tells him, he says, you know, he's also Jewish, but he's an atheist. He's, uh, an a- most atheists, once you push them, will say they're really agnostics because atheist means you know there's no God. You can't really know there's no God until you know everything that does exist. So once you, once you get into a corner, most people are really agnostic. They're just unsure. So anyway, he tells Rabbi Yaakov Neskin he, he's an atheist. Okay. He says, let me tell you something, Rabbi. He says, my children can't wait for me to die because I got a lot of money and they're certainly not checking all my welfare. They're just waiting for me to kick the bucket so they can get a nice inheritance. It's incredible how your grandchildren are, uh, show you such respect and such honor. How do you, how do, you do it? You know? So if Yaakov Neski tells me, he says, I'll tell you, it's very simple. It's different between me and you. He says, I believe, we know as the Jewish people, he's talking to the Jewish guy, you know? He says, we know as Jewish people that we received the Bible, we received the Torah at our Sinai. The entire nation showed up, over three million people. This is part of history. All right, three million people stood at the foot of Sinai and God gave us the Torah. Therefore, the closer you are to the receiving of the Torah, the more, the, the more truth you have. The closer, the earlier generations, the previous generations are the ones who have lost less steps or less information than us, right? The further you get away from something, it's like a, sometimes it's a broken game of telephone. So he says, when it comes to us, we are, are, you know, we as a people, we as a nation, respect our elders. He says, you believe in evolution, now you believe the world just happened. So what is it? He says, the older people are bigger monkeys. Why should your children respect you? Yeah, they're more, uh, they're more evolved from apes than you are. There's no reason why they should respect you. you, don't, you know, they, they think they're more knowledgeable. They've got this information. He says, that's the difference between us. He says, you know, our children know the previous generations are the ones that, are, that the, are the ones that we rely upon to transmit the Yama. So be it as it may, what's the Gabar saying over here? We have all these opinions, and now we're going to support these opinions. How so? By looking back at teachings of the previous generations and showing how it's consistent with the Amoram. So here we go. Tani Gavasi, the Ravashi, we have a Brisa backing up these, the opinion of Ravashi. Maidim Chacham, the Rebbe Lazar, B'Katani Shaziel, Aviv, and Esgarsha. The Chacham, Aviv, Rebbe Lazar, about a minor who's married off by her father, then got divorced, Harek Yisab, Yav, that the father completely loses the rights. And if they remarry, she's forbidden to the Yavam, Meshach, Gerusha, Gerish, and Gemurim, because her divorce is a complete divorce, biblically, right? Her marriage was biblical, and therefore this get, this divorce, is also completely biblical. But in Chazara, but the remarriage, which now no longer has the father involved, is not Chazara Gemurim. It's not a complete 
getting back together. Why? Because it's happening under a different frame of circumstance. It's happening under a rabbinic type of marriage. When do we say this is true? When she was divorced as a katana, and she was taken back as a katana. Let's say she was initially divorced from the father's marriage. As a katana of but then she remarried as a gedayla inami or the the husband only died in the second marriage, same guy, but second marriage after she's a gedayla. Then we say she could choose chalitza or yibum. and that is what's consistent with what we said. Nachman Rabba asked a question. Searching for information from Rabbi Nachman. Okay, again, some questions are challenges. This is a question searching for information. Sarasamau, what is the halacha of a tzara, of a co-wife, of this woman, this young lady, who had a divorce and then remarried and then her husband dies childless? What is her status? Omar Leh, Rabbi Nachman said, he gufa It's a, listen, the initial halacha is only a rabbinic decree. It's a boundary. Because of Yisayma B'chaya Av, right? Because of that case. And people aren't going to know about it. There's no such thing as making a decree on a decree. Meaning, what the rabbis do is as follows. Sometimes when the Torah says something, when we have a biblical law, so it says it, fine, it's written down. The five books of Moshe Rabbeinu. What the rabbis will do, what the rabbanon will do, is create borders to protect that, like a watchtower. You don't allow things, if you have a city that you need to defend, you don't allow the enemy to come up to your wall, to come up to your red line, to possibly destroy you. Rather, you have a watchtower. You got to see a little bit further out and keep the enemy at a distance. That's what very often a rabbinic decree does. Why they make their decrees? To ensure that we don't come close to the red line of transgressing something biblically. But they will never go ahead and make a decree to protect their decree. They'll never tell us to do something to protect something they say. They say, they'll say something to protect what the Torah wants us to do. But you don't go two steps further. And therefore he says to, to say that the tzara, the co-wife is us, that far we don't go. Says Gemara, is that really true? Vatanya. But we don't have to embrace him. They said the name of Rabbi Lazar. He says, if she, he says, both he, but both her and her tzara, have to do chalitza. He vitzerasa saw gedayda chabim. Both of them. There's no such thing as two women both having to do chalitza. Alav. Or he aitzeras chalitza. It seems that the the tzara must do chalitza and not yibum. And we do make a decree on a decree. Says the Gemara. No, no, no. You're misunderstanding. Lav tirutze commentaries. We already explained. Taretzachi. He chalitza. You're misreading it. She does chalitza. Tzerasa aichalitza. But the co-wife can do either one because we do not make a decree. Onto a decree, period. End of the Gemara, beautiful. And that takes us up to the next Mishnah. Here we go. Says the Mishnah Vaiter. You have two brothers who are married to two sisters who are Kitanim. Okay, no, no issues over here. There's no halakhic issues. There's no parameters around this. They're not marrying their sister. You have two brothers, okay? The older brother marries an older sister. The two younger siblings get to know each other. They like each other. They also decide to get married, okay? But they're both katanim. The husband of one of these sisters dies without children. So now we have a mitzvah of yibum in place. Or possibly, right? What did we learn earlier? So, 
So there's certainly no Yibam on the brother who's married to her sister because you're not allowed to be married to two sisters. So if one brother's husband dies childless, her forbidden nature to the brother-in-law remains because her brother-in-law is married to her sister and you're not, you're not allowed to marry two sisters. And the same thing would hold true by two, when both women are cheresh. A cheresh is able to get married. But again, it's um, it's midr it's uh, midrabanon. There's a whole set of circumstances around that as well, which we will get to in a few daf again. But the same halacha is going to apply not only to katana but also to cheresh, a deaf mute. Gedaylo katana. Let's say one sister was a gedaylo, one sister was a katana. Meis barlish katana. If the husband of the katana passed away, tetsa katana mishum achaysisha. So she's going to go out because she is achaysisha. Now we're assuming that marriage was biblical when the father was involved. If the husband of the Gedaila sister uh, passes away, so now she's falling to the husband of her younger sister. We teach the Kitana to refuse the marriage. This way the whole thing is going to be nullified. He says, listen, you don't have to teach her to do that. You don't have to guide her. However, if she chooses to, she could. You wait until the younger one now is a gedola, so she's now on a biblical level marriage. And then the other one's going to go out because now her sister's in a biblically uh, mandated marriage and she certainly has no relationship anymore, no zika, no bond anymore to the brother. He says, listen, this is just one of the, the sad situations. Sometimes there's, you know, sometimes there's, uh, you just put into a predicament. And it's kind of like, as we say, yeah. To, the, um, to his wife and to his brother's wife. He says, listen, you got a big problem here. You're going to have to get rid of your wife with a get. So why do you got to get rid of your wife with a get? Because it's only because you have a biblically mandated Zika bond that kicked in, which is getting in the way of your relationship now to the younger wife. Okay. Says the Gemara like this. Now we're about to embark. We're gonna. It's gonna come full circle. We're about to embark on a beautiful um, list of things that we should keep in mind for life. Okay, and we're going to see how this conversation comes all the way around to, to our Mishnah. Listen closely, this incredible Gumar. Incredible Gumar. Umishari, is it allowed to teach the Kitana to do Miyam? Are you allowed to do that? To try to convince her to do that. Here we go. Is it a good thing to do Miyam? Ever thought about that? Like, does it make a difference? Does it not make a difference? Says the Gemara, Tani Barkapara, Barkapara taught us. La Olam always in life. Yidbak Adam, a person should cling to three things. And also a person should separate from three things. Now there's obviously other things you can cling to and other things to separate from, but he's talking about a specific category. Now get ready for this. Yidbak in life, a person should always cling to the following three things. Bachalitza. Cling to chalitza, meaning if you have somebody dies childless and the mitzvah, there's a choice, do yibum, or a choice of chalitza, go with the chalitza. You hear this? Go with the chalitza approach. That's number one. Ubahavo as sholem. 
and one must bring peace close. Peace is not going to knock on your door and say, hi, I'm here until you make a fight. No. Very often in life, most often in life, you will not have peace in life unless you actually bring it to you. There's a lot of opportunity for quarrels. There's a lot of opportunity for dispute. It's beautiful in life that many of us do not think alike and there's a lot of misunderstandings. But we should cling to bringing peace. Not, not loving peace. That's too easy. It's too easy to say you want peace and to love peace. That's too easy to do. You have to bring peace. It's active. Too many people want peace around the world, but they don't have peace in their own families. They don't speak to their own parents. But they're busy talking about peace in the world. If you don't have peace in your own homes, you're not going to have peace. You, you got to bring peace. You got to cling to it. You got to run after it. Ubafaras nadar. And also afaras nadar. A person should nullify vows. Be very wary of making a vow. You're setting yourself up for down the line regret. The Yisrachik Mishlech Devarmi should distance yourself from three things. Distance yourself from Mion. And this is why we're mentioning all this because we said we advise her to do Mion. But over here we're saying that we should distance ourselves from Mion. There's obviously a reason why she has, why it's in her best interest to be put in this situation. Umin Ha'erevainais. And this is fascinating. The Gemara is going to clarify this. But you should also re, uh, refrain from being a guarantor on a loan. Refrain from being a guarantor on a loan. The Gemara is going to explain later on that this is, a, um, this is a specific type of loan. Your person might say, why not? Isn't it a mitzvah? Isn't it a mitzvah? Isn't it a, you know, a, a positive thing to do that on behalf of, of uh, somebody else? So one thing you can say is something that my parents taught me when I first got married. They gave me a few financial rules. Um, one category of financial rules was uh, never borrow money that you cannot repay by that Shabbos. Okay, if you can't repay it by Saturday, figure out another way. Don't borrow money that you're not going to be that you don't have a, a quick repayment plan. Second of all, never lend money that you cannot afford to lose. It's a mitzvah to lend money, and it's a mitzvah to take care of somebody. But if you ever lend money to somebody, pretend like it's gone. Pretend like it's gone. Never lend money you can't afford to lose. Sometimes, now, uh, you know, what about being a guarantor? So over here we're saying that it's a proper thing to be a guarantor, but also don't guarantee money that you can't afford. What if, what if the person defaults on the loan? Are you, will, are you really willing at that time to step up? If yes, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. If not, you got to be careful. The Gemara is going to see soon there's a specific type of loan that we're saying is actually quite foolish to sign on, and we'll explain shortly. But, but uh, the bottom line is we have a question. Do we encourage Mion? Do we not encourage Mion? Says the Gemara, Mion the mitzvah shiny. Mion of a mitzvah is different. Meaning, in general, we don't encourage Mion because obviously a reason why, why she's there. However, if let's say there's an opportunity here for a mitzvah of Yibum to be performed, then we're going to say we actually do encourage the Mion, incredible. Gufa, peace of peace, quarter, Brisa, Tony Barkapara, Varim. Let's get into these things. We said a person should cling to three things. Bachalitza, you should cling to Chalitza, Kabashol. Why should we choose Chalitza over Ibum? Because of Abashol, then we're going to the Brisa. Abashol, I'm here. Abashol says, I'm going to say, Vindu, the shame, no. If let's say a person performs the mitzvah of Ibum, why? Not because you're interested in perpetuating your brother's name. You know why you want to do it? The shame, no. 
because you think uh, because of her beauty, or because of social standing, or something else, whatever. You got your own uh, agenda in mind. In order to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibam, you got to have your head on straight. And if you don't, it's still a transgression. It's close to being a mamzer. So the bottom line is, you're playing with fire. There's a tremendous mitzvah, and it's a huge thing to do. But you're playing with fire, and therefore we don't recommend it. Which is a beautiful message also to think about. I don't know if it's a message to take always because you need to know how to balance it out, but a beautiful message to take. Sometimes you have a huge opportunity for something. There's big time, thing, but there's major risk. And the, the Mishnah is paskin. I mean, the, the Brysa here, I'm sorry, the Brysa is paskining that there's times where you have to know there may be a lot of upside, but when the risk is a lot closer, the much greater chance of the risk happening than the reward you don't go for it. What does it mean to bring peace? It says, One should request peace and run after it. Again, like we said, you're gonna, you have to run after peace. There's too many opportunities for, um, for uh, uncomfortable misunderstandings. Top of Ahmed Bey's. Radifa. He says, we make a Xerashov of the word Radifa and Radifa. Running, running. It says, by peace. You got to run after it. And it says, by chesed, by kindness. chesed of a person runs after charity and kindness. You'll find life. You'll find tzedakah and kavod. Incredible. Yeah? Here's what happens. And we know this is nature. This is how it is. David HaMelech, King David. In Tehillim. Yeah, in Psalms, what does David Melech tell us? So that my kavod will sing out. Right? What's my kavod? What does that mean? So it's translated as my soul. Very interestingly, uh, uh, David Amelech calls, he names the soul honor. That's what he names the soul. It's fascinating. Why? Why is the soul being named honor? We know this for ourselves. When people can't honor other people, when people are negative, and what we call in Yiddish, they kvetch, and they're always finding the, the problems in things. They, they, their, their souls are dead. Now, not literally, but it's like, you know, there's no vibrancy there. We know when people are willing to give respect and honor, it doesn't cost a dime. Honor people, respect people, say something nice. When their name comes up in conversation, give a compliment about them. It doesn't cost anything. But people are so hesitant to say positive things about each other. But people who do it, we honor them the most. Uh, it, even without even trying to. When you, you think about any person in your life that's positive, has good things to say about people, you just respect them. You honor them. Because they're, the soul and honor really go hand in hand. When you run after these good things, a good, to, a good person, just do the right thing. You should know God's charity, Hashem's charity, the chavod will will uh, will come His way. Bafarstarim, what about nullifying vows? Why did we say to cling to nullifying vows? What did that mean? Because Rav Nasan, the Yomer, the Tanya learned the Raiser, Rav Nasan Omer, Rabbi Nasan says, Hanoder keilu bonaboma. If a person makes a vow, it's as if it's as if they built a forbidden altar. It is an altar of idol worship. 
yeah, to some statue that says made in China on bottom or something, right? Well, you, you believe in the power of, uh, you know, grass. You believe it. So you build an altar to worship your grass. And when you fulfill that vow, it's as if you brought a sacrifice on it. This is such a beautiful statement. Listen closely. It sounds so like, what are we talking about? But this is incredible. Listen to this. When, we make a, when a person makes a vow, very often we think we're being uh, self-righteous. Self-righteous. Now, a vow is not a pre-existing obligation. A vow is a new obligation. So I say something like this. You know, let, let's, take, let's take, for example, a silly case of somebody who worships grass. They believe in the power of grass. Grass controls the world. Fine. That's, that's their idol. Enjoy, favorite color is green, fine, very nice. So what do you do? So you build an altar, okay, fine. Build an altar, you're going to worship to the grass. Then what do you do? So you think you're a good guy. And then you bring a sacrifice on it. Ooh, now it's incredible. Now I completely, you know, I sacrificed whatever it is, uh, you know, the dirt, <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you would sacrifice the grass, and now you're, you're really rocking. The problem here is, the more you get into the service of foolishness, the, here's the, psych, the psychology. The person themselves think they're actually better people. But the truth is, you're just barking, you're, you're just climbing up a dead tree. And the further up you get, the less chance you have of figuring stuff out. If you're going to do something wrong, at least, at least know you're stupid. At least know you're stupid, right? When I was, you know, I, I quote my parents all the time. So when I was a kid, my father, as many of you know, was the uh, reshiva of, of the high school, the Reish Mechina of the high school in Er Yisrael. So he was very into his, his big thing with us. And, you know, I was I'm the youngest in the family. So I was a little spoiled with a lot of things. Um, at least my older siblings tell me that. Um, but my father, he, he pretty much gave me whatever I needed or even wanted as long as I knew the difference. So I would come to him and say, you know, I would say, Ty, I need, I need 10 bucks. So what do you need 10 bucks for? I want to go to the Orioles game. Yeah, I'm 11 years old, mind you, okay? I'm 11 years old. I want to go to the Orioles game. So he would say, you need 10 bucks or you want 10 bucks? I'm like, okay, fine. I want 10 bucks. So he says, uh, why do you want to go to the Orioles game? Is that... Uh, you know, is that anything productive in your life? Is that going to be productive? Like, no, but I still want to go. He's like, all right, here's 20 bucks. And just know that you're just wasting, you know, you're, just, you're going to have a good time. But this is not, really, when you get older, you understand to be spending your time more wisely. You could be doing more productive things than it, but you're allowed to have an outlet. Okay. And I still take my kids to games and it's fine and this and that. But what he was instilling, and he let me hear what he would constantly instill in us is, but know what you're doing. Just be aware. Just think. Be aware. You're allowed to have an outlet. You're allowed to go out. You're allowed to do things that are not, you know, that are, uh, yeah, how are the Orioles, Robert? Are they, are they good this year? No? No? Terrible. Okay. <laughs> they're not doing too well. It's a good thing I moved to St. Louis. I think they're, they're in better shape over here. <laughs> when I was a kid, or I'm still a kid, when I was a younger kid, I felt like, the Orioles and some of the other teams were kind of like paying rent to play in the Cardinals league. Like the Cardinals were always in the playoffs, 
always. <laughs> and we were just like, you know, uh, trying to figure out how to build up our, our farm system. Okay, <laughs> but be it as it may, here's the idea. Get, let's get back to the Gemara. Here's the idea. If you start doing something that has no value, no intrinsic value, cut it short. Don't keep going. And be aware what's right, what's wrong, what's foolish, what's productive. Be aware what's happening because you're going to try. You think you're nice. You think you're helping, right? Classic, let's give one more example. Euthanasia, right? Assisted suicide for older people, which is, I, I don't know if it's still permitted in Oregon, whatever it is. But people in that group that want, that are like, hey, you know, you're doing a tremendous kindness to the person. And for us, it's like murder. But to them, they're, they're good, they're, they're nice people. It's just totally misplaced. It's totally misplaced kindness. But the more you get into it and you, you think that you're good and you're right, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the idea that we're sharing over here. It says the Gemara. A person should always distance, also distance us from three things. Why? Maybe she'll become a, a gedayla. And ultimately, she'll regret it. Kids, young children, you know, not any young children, young, young adults, they don't, uh, as we know, they don't uh, fully grasp. <laughs> you know why they don't fully grasp anything? Because they are actually getting smarter. But what happens is, as adolescents and teenagers get the, their brains actually start working once they hit their teenage years. As we know in Yiddishkeit and Judaism, you hit age 13, right? You become bar mitzvah and you, you get your Yetzir Taiv. Things start functioning. For some reason, they think because they're getting a little smarter and more confused, the rest of us are getting dumber. As they say, uh, as soon as you know that your parents were right, you've got a kid who thinks you're wrong. Okay. Min ha pigdinus. And for, a person should also distance themselves from pigdinus, from, oh, I, I, I may have skipped that word earlier, from uh, uh, allowing people to make deposits in their house. Bimar Masa. This is talking about other people in your city. Other people want to make deposits by you in your house. Debase kibase dummy. Because um, if somebody deposits something in your house, they're going to get a little too heimish, as we say. They're going to get a little too um too comfortable okay and uh, they may end up taking things either it's their own thing or somebody else's they get a little to heimish it's fascinating you got you got to create a little bit of space minai ravan also distance yourself from being a guarantor what does that mean it's a specific type of guarantee on a loan of shaltzian now rashi says it's either the name of a place or a specific type of loan where you can go directly to the guarantor without even approaching the borrower first. The Yomar of Yitzchak, what's the meaning of the Pasuk that says, <sighs> lost the place, I'm sorry. Uh, that bad things after bad things, when you act as a guarantor for a czar, for uh, you know somebody who's a stranger, what does that mean? It's talking about unfortunate bad things after bad things will come up will come upon somebody who's Mikabel Gerim. All right? Meaning we know in Judaism, uh, as opposed to the way some other religions function, we actually discourage any type of conversion. If somebody comes to a Jew and says, I want to convert, the obligation on a Jew or a Jewish court initially initially is to say it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea, right? 
there, there, there's no need. God made us all different, and there's no need to convert to Judaism. It's not <laughs> totally not worth it. Now, if a person insists and insists and insists, then a court could take it. But we're not supposed to um, missionize and convince people to become Jewish. You have to separate yourself from doing that. And as far as the guarantors of this means to to attach himself to the to uh, the matters of law, the matters of the way of life. What does it mean that bad things will happen to Because of the teaching of Rabbi Chalbay, the Amar Rabbi Chalbay, Rabbi Chalbay says, that Gerim are like a thorn to Klal Yisrael, like um, uh, like a sapachas on R. What's sapachas? We know this from the Torah. It's a type of tzaras on, on uh, skin. It's like it's a, it's a sapachas on skin. And it's a, it's a very hard thing to get off. Arve shal These guarantors of shal the of the, what do they do? Shloif dots. They do shloif dots. And that's what we explained before. They don't come to the borrower first. They go straight to the guarantor as well. And therefore, when you go and guarantee a loan under these circumstances, what you're basically doing is becoming a borrower. One who, um, you know, it's going to come upon somebody who connects themselves to Dvar Halacha. The time of basically, Listen to this. A person who says, I don't, I, I don't go for Torah. You know something? Even if you study Torah, you don't get any reward for studying Torah. It says more pshita. It's obvious. Rather, you know what it means? If a person says, I'm only going to study Torah because I want to do it for knowledge. I want to know what it says in the five books of Moses. You know, I want to, I want to know what's going on over here. But I don't believe in any of it. I just think it's cool for my mind. It's not in any way meant to teach me a way of life, to teach me an approach, a way I'm supposed to dedicate myself to. Say in the letter, you know something? Fine. So you got some of the knowledge, but you're limiting yourself with that. What are you? Okay, so it's academia. Very nice. Very nice. You could be a professor in Harvard. You crack, a, crack open a Talmud. You crack open a, a Chumash. Nothing to do with anything. There's no, there's no reward given if it's not with an approach of what is God telling me I'm supposed to do? What is the way of life? What's the approach? How do I how do I personalize this? How do I you know integrate it into um, you know into my my life, my experiences, my my strengths, my weaknesses? That that also is obvious. That's not a chiddush. You know the chiddush is you don't even have tire. If you don't treat it with tire, you don't even have tire. My time, but why not? Because it says in the Torah, we say this every day in Kriyashma. What is the purpose of the study? Why do we study? To ultimately understand how to bring it out in action, how to bring it to performance. It's not about knowledge, it's about performance. If a person um, learns something, so then you receive reward for your study. But if a person does not study for the purpose of, of uh, internalizing it, so then they don't receive reward even for the studying. Or you can explain, really like we said initially, whoever says that I'm only going to study Torah for the knowledge and not to perform, you do, you got, you got, you know, Torah is, you, you do get reward for the study. But rather the case is, where you're teaching Torah to others to help them know what to do so they could perform. 
I would have said that, listen, if you're just teaching and not performing, so at least you're helping other people, you get reward for that as well. Kamash Mulan comes along and say, no. You gotta be, you gotta practice what you preach, as we say in English. Yeah? You gotta practice what you preach. You know, there, there's a well known incident, I believe it was in Cambridge University, there was a professor of ethics who was busted doing something very unethical. And when they asked him why, how it's possible, he said, you don't need to be a triangle to teach trigonometry. That was his response. Okay, fine. Nebuch, very sad. But um, that's, how some, that's how it is. And it's, it's some, something that we need to, need to take with us as well. It's a constant, it's constant work. It's a constant avoidant in, in life to really be up to the task of not only talking the talk, but also walking the walk and, and living within, uh, within the uh, teachings that we have. And you should know, if we don't, it's not only that we don't, it's even worse. Because sometimes it's even more dangerous to have a lot of knowledge and not try to use it in the proper way. The knowledge can actually be hurtful. You can end up using that and manipulating the, your information and trying to come to conclusions, basing yourself off of sources that to you, you've just twisted to, to fit your agenda. So it's very, very, there's a lot going on over here. Or if you want, you could say, A person who connects him This is talking about a judge where a case comes in front of him in court. The gomar halacha, and and um, he learnt the halacha. He learnt the law. Umedami milsa lemilsa. The isle rabba v'lo yazel mishal. You hear this? Here's what happened. A case comes to a judge in court, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I, I came across something similar," and therefore he gives a ruling without consulting others to ensure that the two are actually connected. Do not, an individual should never, if you need truth, sometimes you need to rely on yourself. But we all think with our own minds with specific biases. And therefore, even a judge, you're in a position of power, it doesn't matter. You got to consult others. Don't rely on your own logic. Make sure that your connection between what you've learned and the ruling that you're given is a correct connection. The Yomar of Yomar because when a judge sits in a court, incredible. Do not think you have power. Rather, you should view yourself as somebody with a sword resting by your thigh, ready to take you out. You're in a dangerous predicament. The Gehenim and Gehenim is opening up underneath. King Solomon, Shlomi HaMelech, had, you know, 60 um, strong judges around him. Um, because of the fear of Leilis, the fear of night. What do you mean? Shlomi HaMelech afraid at night. He was having nightmares. What's going on? King Solomon's nervous about anything? Nope. Rather, incredible when King Solomon, when Shlomi HaMelech would give a ruling. He always kept 60 other mighty judges near him to consult with to ensure that his way of thinking was correct. 
We think when somebody's in a position of power, that's when you need to stop consulting people. It's actually the opposite. The more, the, the more uh, power somebody's given, the more responsibility somebody's given, demands of a person to actually view everything in a more humble set of circumstances and reach out, uh, and reach out to, if, uh, you know, for help and for other people's uh, approaches and opinions. Now, it doesn't mean that they're the ones who decide. You're, you're the one in position, you're the one who could ultimately decide. But the greater, the more responsibility, the more humility is necessary. Rav Gamliel says, if let's say she does mion, so it's going to be valid, and that's it. It is what it is. If she didn't do mion, so then they could, so then the sister waits for her to become a gedola, and then she can go free afterwards, because now the marriage is biblical. Rav Lazar asks a question, searching for information from Rav, my time to Gamliel. What's the reason for Rabbi Gamliel? Mishom the Kesava Kedusha Kitana Milsatalu says the Gemara. Oh, so so what's his reasoning? So is it because he says that the marriage of a Kitana is kind of like uh, in between? It's kind of hanging over here. That's what the Mislatalu. It's kind of hanging, and you know we have to wait for it to get a full effect. It's like a limbo, so to speak. And as she gets older, so it becomes more established. Is it true even without, uh, even without Bia, uh, without relations? So depending on the depending on the reasoning, will depend on whether Bia uh, will play enough, will, will make a difference. He responds, no. Let me explain. This reason for Gamliel that wait until she becomes a that when a person marries the sister of his Yavama, Niftari Yavama B'hochaloi, the Yavama then loses the bond and goes. Interestingly, even if she had a bond first, you go and marry her so that the other bond is now released because now she becomes an Arias. However, there's only true Iba'al in. If there was actual Bia, then that's true Eloi Ba'aloi. But if you didn't actually have Bia after she was a Gedela, so then the the other sister is is um, not going to be allowed to walk away and marry somebody else. Some Rav Sheshes, Rav Sheshes says, Amino kinoim v'shochev Rav. You should know that um, when Rav said this halacha, he was dozing off. V'shochev Rav, Amar l'ha shmaitza. This is when he said this statement, meaning I don't agree with what he said. He must have been tired when he said that. The Tanya, we learned in a b'raisa. Hamakadus ha-katana, if a person marries a katana, kidusha tuluyim. Her kedushin hangs in balance. That's the first approach. Now, what it means, my clue, what does that mean? It's hanging in a balance. Whoever heard of such a thing? It seems until she becomes a G'dayla. And then it's, everything's taking biblical effect. No, what happens is, it is hanging over there, but I'll tell you what happens. It's hanging only until, up until a certain point. If they have Bia. Once she, you know, once she gets older, so then there's a Kedushin Dairaisa, the biblical marriage, and everything's Shalom Yisrael, everything's in place, and the sister goes, Okay, because she's going to say to herself, listen, that once she becomes a Gedayla, she no longer has the right to do Mion. So now it's going to be completely dependent on the husband. So who adif minai? He kind of has a stronger power than me. But ana adif and until I become a gedayla, I have power over him 
as well. So as a katana, what, what do we mean toloi? They're kind of like on, uh, when something's hanging in a balance, you have a scale that's hanging in balance, that means both sides are equal. So until she becomes a gedayla, that's what it means toluyan. Not that we're viewing the marriage as if it's hanging, but we're saying that both powers to end the marriage are on equal levels. Does Rav really agree? Does Rav really, is he really of the opinion that it depends whether they be of itmar, but we learn, Katana let's say you have a katana who did not do mion, she never, she never fetched about that marriage, she never said anything to the cashier or any of her friends, uh, the cases we mentioned the other day, and then she gets older, she just goes and marries another guy, that's it. Rav Omar, Anatricha, get me Shani. So she's married to the first guy. You can't just walk away. And therefore, you don't need to get from the second guy. Which is logic, right? The second marriage never took effect. A married woman goes and accepts marriage from a second guy. You're not married. This is called an extramarital affair. That's all it is. Ushmol Amar, so you don't, you don't need a divorce document. You don't need anything. Nothing, nothing happened for it to even, uh, for it to even uh, start. Shmuel says no, that there is an impact that the second guy has on her. Says Gemara, my love, top of tomorrow's daf, my love delight ball, aren't we dealing with a case where within her initial marriage, there wasn't Bia, but we still see that Rob holds, she could leave the second husband out again, light the ball, eat the ball, my time with the Shmuel, if they had Bia, what's reason for Shmuel that you need to get? I don't understand. If they had Bia after she was an adult, so they had a complete marriage, she's now walking off to somebody else. That's not a marriage. Does it, you can make a whole, you can rent out a wedding hall, stand under a canopy, make a chuppah, have a whole production. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a, as a woman being married to two men. The second man is not married to her. So Gemara answers, Kosovar, kol habayal al-das kedushin that will say the first husband's bia was only for his first kedushin, which is really, when did that take place? In a rabbinical way. And therefore he never intended for the bia after the adulthood to consummate completely that first marriage. And therefore Shmuel's going to say, in a sense, that second husband's marriage does have strings connected to her now. And hence, she's going, uh, she's going, to, uh, she's going to need again. Okay, we'll hold it here for today. Um, and God willing, tomorrow evening will Mati uh, Shabbos at 10 p.m. We will uh, we'll pick up with Daf Kofiud, page 110, and we're going to keep following on this fascinating machlokas, this fascinating conversation and dispute between Rav and Shmuel as to um, why you may or may not need a get again when she first married as a katana, and then she became a gedayla, then she's walking away, and another guy is putting a ring on her finger. Whether or not you need to get that machlekes, we'll uh, we'll wrap up that conversation. Bez Hashem, have a wonderful, wonderful job, everybody.